we've been in this um, season that we call Awaken, and, and we have phrased it this very intentionally every February because how easy it is for us, you know, as, as God's people or as people who are on the search for God, how easy it is for us to fall asleep for us to lose focus, for us to tune our ears out and our eyes to the things of God. And so we specifically and strategically step into the season. We say, God, would you wake us up? And so a few weeks ago, Andrew taught and he asked, he taught on God, would you just awaken us to see? Would you help us to see you, Jesus, and to see people like you? And in this morning, we're gonna really lean into on this last day of our fast saying, God, would you awaken us to hear? Would you awaken us to hear? And, and I was thinking about, you know, in, in my life, that there are, are two different types of, of hearing. There is a, a type of hearing where you sit down and you give all of your attention and, and you shut everything else out and, and, you, and you lock in on what someone else is saying. And there's a type of hearing where you're just kind of doing other tasks, right? And, and you're hearing someone talking. So I think about it like this. You know, the other day, my wife was wanting to have a conversation with me, a conversation that she needed my full attention. And I was uh, trying to lean into the second way of listening, where I was trying to do a task. I was trying to, to keep doing something. And I was listening to her. But, but she looked at me and she's like, I need your attention, and it just got my attention because I was thinking about how it is that we come to the Lord, that, that there are two different ways that we listen to the Lord. When we're actually listening, there's a type of listening where we, where we sit down and we, and, we, and we remove all the distractions and we, and we focus in on hearing the Lord. And there's a type of hearing where, where we're just going about our lives. And, 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 you know, it's like talking on the phone and driving. You're doing two things at once, but it's not your full attention. I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, it's going to be important that you understand that there are two different types of listening to me. And if the only time that you listen to me is, is when you're trying to do another task, you're going to miss out on those moments. You're going to miss out on the fullness of what I'm trying to say to you. And, and, if, and if you're never listening to me throughout the, just throughout the day, if the only way that you listen to me is by just th those moments where you just give my attention, you direct everything else, if you're not opening up the rest of your day to listen to me, you're going to miss out on me. And so I felt like the Lord was just going, hey, let's be a people that learn to listen to the Lord in the fullness. God, would you awaken us to hear, and, and I love the story that we're going to be in this morning, Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4. I want to give us a little context for where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, you know, the whole book of Luke is descriptive of the life of Jesus. And in the first two chapters, it is all about the early life of Jesus. It is all about his, his birth and his boyhood. And, and up until this point, Luke 1 and Luke 2, Jesus has been hidden, for 30 years, he's been hidden from the crowds. He's been hidden from the public. And, and Luke chapter three is this crossing over moment where, where Jesus goes from being hidden to being known. He goes from, from being um, developed in the private places by God to stepping into the things that God had for him in the public places. And Luke chapter three is this moment of transition. Luke chapter three, starting verse 21, this is what the word of the Lord says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And a couple of observations, you know, baptism was this crossing over moment. It was this stepping into for Jesus. It was this public declaration. 
And the reality is we don't know what, what, all, what all was going on behind the scenes in Jesus' heart and his mind that, that led him to, to step into this baptism. But what we do know, and I think what the scripture wants us to understand, is that Jesus was baptized. And as I was preparing this week, I just felt this prompt, man, to, to really invite those of you who haven't given your life to Jesus in baptism to do so. Man, that, that, that the Lord himself is inviting you to, to cross over, to step into the life that he has for you, for you to publicly declare your desire to follow Jesus through baptism. I love this because this just jumped off the page of me. This was a moment where Jesus fully became like us and he's inviting us to fully become like him. I invite you to, to come tonight to, to be baptized. You know, you've been hidden with God. You've, you've been developed by God in the private places. And now it's time to go public with your love and your intention to follow Jesus. And, and, and I love this moment that you die to yourself. And it's this moment that you receive the, the, the reward of eternal life with the Father forever. I encourage you, I invite you, man, give your life to Jesus in baptism if you haven't done that. Second observation, I love this, that, that you notice in the scripture it said that as Jesus was praying, I love that detail, as he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven that said, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. And I was just reading that this week and, and thinking about, you know, the reality is as a follower of Jesus, that we, we have moments that feel like this with God. There are moments when, when we really relate to Jesus in the water. Man, we pray, and it, it feels like instantaneously God in some crazy, confirming way speaks. You ever had one of those moments where, where you're praying about something, you're praying for an answer, you're praying for clarity, and then it's like, it comes, and you're like, wait, did that actually happen that quick? And maybe you've had moments like this in this season Man, and, and, and you know this, if you've ever had a moment where, where you're praying and God comes close, man, you feel empowered. You, 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 have, you have clarity in your heart and your mind. You are, you are committed to the Lord like you've never been before. And, and I, I just share this because I want us to understand that God does this sometimes. There are moments where he breaks through the barrier of heaven and he confirms in, in less than subtle ways that he loves us and that he hears you and he sees you. And I really encourage you, if you've had one of those moments recently, man, to write those things down and, 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 and to tell people about them. Because the reality is that not every moment in life feels like this. And there's something about documenting these moments and declaring what God has done that allows you to really keep walking through the hard seasons, that, 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 that there are times where we really relate to Jesus in the water. And what I want to spend the majority of our time talking about this morning is, is where I think the majority of us spend a lot of our life, and it's we relate to Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, that we have moments where we relate to Jesus in the water. We feel close to God. We feel empowered by God. We feel committed to God. And there are moments, a lot more moments, where we feel like Jesus in the wilderness. I want to walk through this text this morning, Luke chapter four, starting in verse one. This is ex the, the very next moment. Jesus was baptized. Luke chapter three and Luke chapter four, it says, Jesus, starting in verse one, full of the Holy Spirit, 
he left the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I love this, guys. You know, Jesus receives a spirit. And the very first thing that we see Jesus doing, and we can't miss this, it's so incredibly crucial. The first thing that he does is he relinquishes his right to call the shots in his life. The spirit comes in, it says the spirit led him. And this is huge, guys, because the spirit comes in and Jesus' posture isn't one of resistance. And it isn't this posture of, you know what, it's great to have you, Holy Spirit, to, to give me suggestions when I want them, which is how I live so much of my life, which is how so much, how many of us, we live our lives. And I love the posture that Jesus demonstrates. He has this incredible moment in the water. He's given the Holy Spirit and he relinquishes control of his life. I have a really hard time letting go of control. Anybody else? And, and the reason I have a hard time is because, man, I, I want my life to turn out a certain way. Amen? And, and if I can control it, man, I can get what I want out of life. But think about it, man. When, when we are trying to control our life, what are the internal feelings that are produced in us? What are the external fruits that come out in our life? For me, when I'm trying to control everything, when, when I view the Holy Spirit as like my, you know, the backseat driver that I get to decide if I want to listen to or not, instead of fully relinquishing the control of my life, what it produces in my life is not peace, is not joy, is not trust that God's going to come through, that God's going to take no matter what comes and he's going to work it out. No, what comes in my life when I'm trying to control is anxiousness. And I get really angry when, when things come in, they don't work out the way that I want. And, and I'm self-focused and it's all about self-preservation. And I go, you think about it. When we're trying to control our lives, do we actually get what we want? And the answer is sometimes. Sometimes we work really hard to control our life plan and everything works out. Man, but what happens when something doesn't? You see, our posture as followers of Jesus, is that we relinquish the right to call the shots in our lives. And that's actually a really good thing. And it doesn't feel that way at first. <laughs> because we might not get the things that we want. Life might not turn out the way that we want. But Jesus models for us. A life following the Lord is a life relinquishing where you call the shots in your life. And that actually frees us up. It frees us to enjoy God in life. It frees us to trust God. It frees us to be dependent on God, that he's gonna come through. It frees us to, to, to not have to, to worry about how everything's gonna work out. It frees us to be fully in the moment with God. You know, yesterday was, I'm coaching my son and my daughter's basketball team. Yesterday was the, the last game of the season. Thank you, Lord. And... And it's so crazy, my, my son, you know, it's, it's, there's a difference in boys basketball and girls basketball, at least the two teams that I have. And, you know, the girls are just, you know, you tell them to do something and they do it perfectly and they're obedient. Like I tell them to do something, they're just on it and the boys could not be further from the opposite, right? And, and it is like herding cats. But 
there's this thing that, that, that the boys show up to practice and it's just like, you know, they're just there to have fun. And they don't, you know, they don't care about winning. Like they're just, they're there just to have a good time with their buddies. And, and the girls show up and they're serious. Like, you know, and I, and I love it. I wish the boys were more like the girls in this area. But, but it's fun because the boys show up and they're just throwing the ball and they're trying to do all these trick shots inspired by Dude Perfect and all this stuff. And, 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 and what's so fun about coaching is, man, they get to show up and just have fun. And they don't have to know everything about basketball. They don't have to know how it's going to turn out. Their job is just to listen. And all the pressure's on me as a coach to, to, to set them up right and to tell them what to, to run and to tell them what to do. And if they will just listen, man, they get to be carefree and have fun. I'm just thinking about life with the Spirit. Man, when, when we relinquish the control, we get to just show up and just enjoy God and life with God. It's interesting, I think, that the, that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus from the place where he was surrounded by other believers, bold believers. It says that Jesus, as other people were getting baptized, Jesus was baptized, and the Holy Spirit doesn't leave him in this place where he was surrounded by other people who were being bold in their love and their declaration for the Lord. It says that the Holy Spirit led him away from the place of bold believers, where he's surrounded with other people to being alone in the desert with the devil. And the devil is just in his ear. And I want us to hear this because it seems that, that the Lord and the scripture is wanting us to understand that it is so possible to be filled with the spirit right in the middle of the will of God and yet feel like the, the enemy is just in your ear at all times. You know, I, I think it's important to say that because the, in, in my life, sometimes when, when I don't feel like that, when, when all I'm hearing is temptation, when I feel like the enemy's in my ear, it feels like I'm doing something wrong. It feels like I'm off. And Jesus shows us, man, it is very possible to be right in the center of God's will. You are filled with the spirit and the enemy to be right there. And some of you, the season that you're in, man, you do not feel like Jesus in the water. You feel like Jesus in the wilderness. You feel alone. I feel like God's not listening. And I love this story because I think Jesus teaches us what to do. He teaches what to do when we find ourselves in the wilderness. Verse three, Luke four. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you're the son of God. He, he questions Jesus's place in the family. He tries to stir up doubt. You know, this is one of the signature moves of Satan. He tries to stir up doubt and distrust about who you and I are in God. Have you felt any of that this awakened season? Stirring up questions if you belong in the family of the Father? Stirring up questions of, man, if you measure up, if you've done enough, if you've taken the fast serious enough, if you're doing enough. I mean, this week I was even wrestling with that going, man, I don't feel like I've earned my, I feel like I'm a pastor, I should be doing more. And I go, man, do you even realize, do we understand that one of the key cards that the enemy plays is he tries to get us questioning our place in the family. The father just said, you are the son. And the first thing the enemy goes after, if you're the son. Have you felt that this season? 
But it's not that he just tries to get Jesus on the ropes of, uh, of, of wondering if he's in the family. I love the, 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 the way that Jesus combats the next thing the enemy does. The enemy tries to tempt Jesus to take things into his own hands. He says, if you're the son, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, what the enemy is trying to get Jesus to do, he's saying, use your power, use what is at your disposal for your pleasure to meet your needs, to gratify your cravings. And on the surface, you know, this temptation, it doesn't even sound like a bad thing. Like to turn a stone into bread, that'd be pretty awesome. See, but Jesus understood the source that was speaking. And he knew that the source was ultimately trying to go against what the spirit of God was doing. The spirit led him into the wilderness. The spirit led him to fast and to be dependent upon the Lord. And the enemy comes in and he tries to tempt him. Just take things into your own hands. Jesus, just use what's at your disposal for you. Think about the way this plays out in our life. Hey, your, your spouse isn't meeting your needs emotionally, sexually. Find it somewhere else. Tell the stone to become bread. Use what's at your disposal for you. Don't care about what the Spirit's doing. You think about you. Or, man, that person at work mistreated you. Spread rumors about you to your boss. Get them back. Tell that stone to become bread. Take what is yours. And the enemy... Take things into your own hands. God's not watching out. He doesn't care about you. He's left you. He's led you here. He's not going to keep taking care of you. Tell the stone to become bread. We're going to come back to Jesus' response at the end. Let's go to verse five, the second temptation of the enemy. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And honestly, this doesn't seem much like a temptation at first reading. You know, really for Jesus, it's pretty easy to decipher the lies, the things that the devil is, is offering and claiming. Jesus knows the enemy can't deliver on these promises. And, and you and I, we can read this and there's some distance to our life, distance to this story. And, and, and the reality is that we can go like, oh man, we can totally see through that. But isn't it true that temptation is always more clever? <laughs> And it's always more appealing. And it's like the enemy has, has crafted this, this specific temptation going after your weaknesses. And I go, what was, what was Satan offering Jesus? You know, what we know is that, that after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that all authority was given to Jesus. That's what Matthew chapter 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth. And we also know that, that the nations are the inheritance of Jesus, that, that what the thing that Jesus is going to inherit when he comes back and he raises the dead and he drives out the enemy is, is his reward is the nations, the eternal praise and the servanthood of every nation under the sun. That is his inheritance. You and I, we're his inheritance. And the enemy comes to Jesus and, and, and what he does is, is he promises the inheritance. He, he promises these things. He offers him. He dangles these things in front of Jesus. But what was the temptation? What was the enemy really doing? Man, he's, he's trying to get Jesus' eyes off the Father 
and onto the inheritance. He's, he's trying to, to get Jesus to bypass the relationship and to concentrate on the reward. He's trying to get Jesus to be a Lord with the stuff. The devil says, if you worship me. You know, we, we, wor- we think about worship and we think about singing, but, but worship is so much more than just singing songs. Worship is what we give our allegiance to. Worship is what we sacrifice for, what we think about, what we serve, what we love, what we give our lives to. And when you think about worship in that context, you know, Jesus, the, he's saying here, and you think about even in the Old Testament, the, the commandment, do not worship any other God. God's not just saying, don't just sing to other gods. What he's saying is, don't give your life to anyone other than me. I think about the things that I've worshiped in my life. I've worshiped, there have been seasons where I've worshiped sports. I've worshiped myself. I've worshiped my wife. I've worshiped my kids. I've worshiped our church. I've worshiped success. I've worshiped pleasure. Don't view worshiping just as singing. View worship as a thing that has your heart's allegiance. And if we're giving our allegiance to our heart to anything other than the Lord, man, we're worshiping the enemy. See, the devil looks at us and he says, hey, turn your your focus to yourself. Spend the best of this life thinking about you and your career and what you want and your kids and your spouse. Give everything, your energy, your time, your resources to whatever it is that you want. And it's tricky here. And the enemy knows this. He's good at what he does. Because the Lord, he actually wants us to do our work really well. I'm convinced that, that, that Christians should be the best workers in the whole world. And he wants us to, to actually be, be good to the bodies that he gave us. To be emotionally and mentally and physically healthy. I believe that he actually wants us to take care of ourselves. I believe that he wants us to have the best marriages and to be the best parents. See, the difference though is the enemy wants the Lord to be removed from the equation for the focus and the end goal not to be to work and to love your wife and your kids, to please the Lord, but for some other end. The devil tries to get him, hey, take your eyes off the relationship and look at the reward. And how many of us do that? We get caught up in thinking about a a nicer home or a better car, or a better job, or a better spouse, or a better kid, whatever it is, and we just live in this place of going better, 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 better. And, and I go, man, do we take our eyes off the thing that we were really made for to worship the Lord? Just, if you worship me, you can have these things. And how many of us have taken that bait? Third temptation. Verse nine says, the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And did you notice that he challenges his identity again? If you're the son. Guys, don't be surprised if you feel attacked over and over and over and over and over here again. Just think about this, what, what, what the enemy is doing here. He's, he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, you can get people's attention. You can begin your, your ministry. You can prove to people that you're the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they're waiting for through a show, through a spectacle. Get up on the temple where 
all the religious people are. Throw yourself down. What a better way. And I bet this was tempting for Jesus. That path was going to be a whole lot easier than traveling around and teaching and correcting and rebuking and healing and investing in people. He could just throw himself down and everyone, instead of Jesus having to go to them, would come to him. And I go, I think what's happening here is is Satan is tempting Jesus to go, Jesus, you do what you want with your life and ask God to meet you on your terms, to bless your path, your plans. Throw yourself down. Ask God's blessing on the things that you want. Don't do things God's way. I was really convicted by that. I go, man, do we do that with God? We get so focused on, on what we want. And we disregard the desires, the will of God, or we don't seek it out at all. How many of us, we go our own way and we ask God to bless our paths? Ooh. And it's sneaky. The devil quotes scripture here. He, he distorts it and he twists it, but he uses it. He's going to do anything he can to get us out of connection with the Lord. And I go, right now, some of you, you really relate to Jesus in the wilderness. Three quick takeaways that we learned from Jesus. How to survive in the wilderness. When we don't have these fresh words from God, we don't feel close to God. How do we survive in the wilderness? First is that he was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Some of you are not filled with the Spirit. You've not given your life to Jesus, and you wonder why things are not working out. Well, it's because you're trying to get God to follow you instead of following him. Let go of the control of your life. Lay down your life. Give your life to him. Acts 2, verse 38 says, Repent, be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is for everyone who God calls to himself. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Give your life to Jesus. Some of you come here today and, and, and you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You're a follower of Jesus. You had that moment where, where you crossed over from death to life and he filled you. But you need right now in your life is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Quit getting drunk, he says, and be instead filled with the Spirit. The invitation is to continually come back to God and say, God, I need you more. I need more of your spirit inside of me. I need more of you. Jesus was filled with the spirit. The second thing that we learned from Jesus, our leader and our king, is that he followed the spirit. Some of you right now, you know what this looks like. You're doing it. Keep following him. Others of you, man, you've taken back control of, uh, 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 you've taken back control of your life and just relinquish it. I do this so often where God will, will bring me to this place where I realize that I'm so, I'm not at peace and I feel far from him and I'm not listening to him. I can't hear him. And, he's, and he reminds me, it's because you're clinging to your version of what you want from life. And if this is you, just repent. Literally just lay it down, confess it and turn the other way. Or maybe you don't know how to follow Jesus. Some of you don't know what it looks like to, to follow the Holy Spirit. 
You're a follower of Jesus. You've, you've given your life to him. You have the spirit, but you don't know what it looks like to be led by the spirit. You haven't learned to listen, that, that your whole life with God has never been about sitting down and listening. It's been about you living your life. And, and if God interrupts you and he speaks to you, then yeah, you'll do it. But, but you've never given God the prime portion of your life or your time or your day. This morning, I just felt like God was saying, ask, seek, knock. If you come here today and you don't know how to follow the Holy Spirit, or even if you do, listen to these words, ask. Ask the Lord in prayer to help you follow the Holy Spirit. Literally, just tell the Lord, God, I want to hear the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek. Seek out Scripture and what the Scripture reveals about the Holy Spirit. So you don't know what it looks like to follow the Holy Spirit. You can stay in this place Or you can ask and you can seek. Here are some places to start. Read John 14, 15, and 16. Read the book of Acts. Become familiar with the work and the movement and the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks. And so if you go, man, I really, I'm coming here today and I'm tired of living life the way that I want and and I want to be filled with the Spirit and I want to follow the Spirit. Ask and seek and knock. And I found this to be one of the most helpful things in my journey. Knock, literally. To find someone further down the journey than me who's actually filled with the Spirit and just listen to them. Just ask them questions. Don't sit and talk. Ask them. Someone who lives their life being filled with the Spirit, you know, knock. It, it, it takes you finding. It takes you taking some initiative. Ask the Lord. Seek it out in Scripture. And then find somebody. Say, I want to learn from you. Will you teach me how to, how to follow the Holy Spirit? And so Jesus, he, he survived in the wilderness because he was filled with the Spirit, because he followed the Spirit. And the third thing is because he knew the Scriptures. See, Jesus was drawing on the already spoken words of God in the moments of temptation. Jesus knew these words because in the hidden places, he'd been reading and meditating and prioritizing the scripture. One of the things that I've noticed in my own life is that the urgent seems to always take precedence over the things that are most important. That the thing that's right in front of me, it seems to always take priority, always take precedence especially over the most important things. And there's always something that feels urgent. I've really felt the call in my family to, man, before I leave in the morning, to spend some time praying with and for my family, to read the scriptures before I leave for work, to cultivate in my kids' hearts a a genuine love for Jesus, to start the day with the Lord. And these, although these are my intentions, So often what happens is I'm rushing out the door and the urgent so often takes priority over the important. What I love about Jesus is that, you know, his his knowledge of the scripture, you know, it, it, it came because he prioritized it. Scripture isn't something that you learn overnight. It's the steady prioritizing not letting what seems urgent drown out the slower, more important development of hearing God's voice. Jesus knew the scriptures. And he didn't just know the scriptures. He obeyed them. 
And he didn't just obey them, he quoted them. They were in his heart. And it's the, the words from God that helped him survive in the wilderness. The scriptures and the spirit are not competing. They are complementary. And we need both. For us to live our lives being active to the spirit, but never in the scriptures, and we miss out. For us to spend our whole lives, spending our lives being immersed in the scriptures, but, but we're not walking with the spirit and we're missing out. And in order to thrive and not just survive in the wilderness, you gotta have the spirit and you gotta have the scriptures. Guys, I love the way the story ends. It says that the devil left Jesus. The devil left because he'd been defeated. He didn't get his way. And you know what it says about Jesus? He'd been fasting for 40 days. He'd been in the wilderness by himself. It doesn't say that he limped back into life. It says in Luke chapter four, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. Whoa. See, the devil isn't always with us. He's not like God. He can't, be in one, he can't be in all places at all times. He can be in one place at one time. And sure, there are other forces that are at work. But have you ever noticed, like you, and you might not notice it in real time, but I notice it in the moment when the enemy leaves. And I don't always discern it in the, in the moment, but, but man, I know when he's gone. I know when, when peace and joy and life has returned and, and it's so often in the rearview mirror in hindsight where I go, oh man, the enemy was just eating my lunch. And the way that we survive the wilderness and the enemy in our ear, life of the spirit, a life shaped by the scriptures. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take the next few minutes and just to process this together. And so we take a few minutes every week as a church family, and we respond. And so I encourage you with the people that, that you're sitting around, and Caleb, we throw up this slide real fast. There are two questions I'd love for us to, to just talk through as we take communion. The first is, do you relate more with Jesus in the water or Jesus in the wilderness right now? And the second is, do you sense the Lord inviting you to take a step with the Spirit or with the Scriptures? And if so, what is that step? So let's take the next few minutes and with the people around us, man, just share, open up your heart, share honestly these, these questions and, 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 and take communion, remind yourself no matter what the enemy, even if he's coming at you and he's making you feel shame and guilt because you're not the person you wanna be, communion is this place of forgiveness and grace. It's a table of grace. And so as you're sharing, eat the bread and drink the cup. Let the Lord's love and grace watch over you. So let's take a few minutes with the people around us process these questions. I'm going to be at the back at the respond banner. Sometimes you just need someone to pray for you. I'd love to, to be back there. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to talk about that, I'll be in the back. But let's take the next few minutes and with the people that were gathered around, process these two questions, and then we'll get up in a few minutes and call us back into a time of singing and worship.